we shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Welcome to Leadership Lessons for Military Leaders. I am your host, Jacob Willoughby. Today's episode will explore George Washington's story, how leadership can be found anywhere, an interview with Air Force ROTC Detachment 850 Commander Lieutenant Colonel Trexy Potter, and a discussion with Jenkins High School JROTC Senior Naval Instructor, retired Chief Warrant Officer 3 Keith Willoughby on leadership lessons he's learned throughout his career. General George Washington is one of the most influential leaders in history. With no previous military experience, he was selected to be a commander in the Virginia Militia in 1752. During the French and Indian War, he suffered many lost battles, losing valuable men along the way. Under his first command on July 3, 1754, Washington made a horrible mistake by making a stand at Fort Necessity. In his book, Washington, A Life, author Ron Chernow used these words to paint the picture. He said, By the end of the day, the rain-drenched stockade was a horrific swamp of mangled bodies, lying in blood and rain. The appalling casualty toll, a hundred men, dead or wounded, represented a full third of Washington's soldiers. Washington was forced to retreat, and his name was tarnished for a time. And yet, this did not deter his spirit to fight on. In 1774, at the Constitutional Congress, Washington was named Commander-in-Chief of the Colonial Army. For eight long years, Washington and his army won few battles, but were able to hold their own through innovative tactics and an undying will to persist. Two and a half decades after his torturous defeat at Fort Necessity, Washington and the Colonial Army, along with the aid of the French, were able to topple the great British forces, sending them back to the island from which they came. Under his direct leadership, the revolutionaries would be able to build their own nation on the foundations and principles they believed in, establishing the world's first democratic republic, changing the world forever. Throughout his life, the near unimaginable positions Washington was put into shaped the leader he was. He was not a strong military strategist, but his natural talent to direct and motivate a malnourished and dejected colonial army kept their dreams of freedom alive even in the darkest hours. 
While he wasn't a perfect man, his leadership gave birth to a nation never before seen on earth, and so much can be learned from his extraordinary life. What do generals, small business owners, and teachers have in common? They are all leaders. When you hear the word leader, who is the first person to come to mind? Many people think of presidents, generals, dictators, or CEOs. What you might not realize is that leadership takes place constantly in the world around us. If you go and get coffee on your way to work, you encounter leadership. This shop has at least one manager who is balancing employee schedules, customer complaints, hiring people, tracking and reporting sales, and more. While that person probably isn't seizing enemy territory in a foreign land, leadership is still very important to them. Without their leadership, the shop would fall into chaos or even go out of business. If that coffee shop manager is a capable leader, they will be able to have a positive impact on everyone working there. In turn, the culture of the shop will improve, and people's lives will be better because of it. This same concept can be found in another position you might not immediately think of. Teachers are crucial leaders in our modern society. To quote from Whitman, Oh me, oh life of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish, what good amid these, oh me, oh life? Answer, that you are here, that life exists and identity, that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. The powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse. What will your verse be? That quote in Dead Poet Society exemplifies how a teacher can go above and beyond to influence the next generation to become their best selves. Teachers have the uncommon opportunity to share their wealth of knowledge and experiences with the next generation daily. This responsibility is not one to be taken lightly, as the future leaders of society are sitting right in front of them. One man who excels at leading as a teacher is the current commander of Air Force RTC Detachment 850 at the University of Utah, Lieutenant Colonel Trek C. Potter. Lieutenant Colonel Potter currently commands over 60 future Air Force officers, teaching, mentoring, and leading them to become the best leaders and people they can be. I was lucky enough to be able to sit down with him to get an inside look into his experiences and his own personal leadership philosophy. Today, I'm joined with Lieutenant Colonel Potter. Thank you so much for joining me, sir. I really appreciate it. Uh, first, can you please give me a quick two-minute synopsis of your career so that people listening have some context moving forward? Absolutely. Uh, so I came into the Air Force, joined the Air Force in 2001, just before 9-11. Uh, so at this point, going on about 22 years now. Uh, I first came in as a civil engineer, uh, civil engineer operations manager, which is uh, basically the the, uh, the team that coordinates all the work, civil engineering work on the base, fixing things and stuff like that. So I was doing that and 
and it was my first time really working on a computer. I know that really dates me, but working on a computer, and I started to realize I really liked computers. And so then as I got uh, transitioned from being a, on the enlisted side to an officer uh, and getting my bachelor's degree, I did a computer science degree and then came in as a, as a cyber officer. And so that's what I've been doing the rest of my career. So probably for the last uh, 17 years or so, I've been doing cyber operations in the Air Force, which could range from anything from just keeping uh, communications flowing, like making sure people have access to the internet, access to email and being able to, being able to communicate, uh, all the way to actually uh, doing active defense and active offense using cyber tools as well. Uh, so to defend your own network or uh, attack the enemy's network as well. So anything in that cyber field is what I've been doing for the last 17 years. That's awesome. That's super interesting. So it's such an interesting career field. I'm excited to hear more about it. So talking about leadership, what do you notice first about a good leader, an average leader, and then more of a poor leader? Yeah, there's uh, a couple qualities that I see in really good leaders. Uh, first is uh, just initiative. Leaders have to take, take initiative to solve problems. An initiative usually is proactive, meaning that they're thinking ahead of time about problems that could be coming rather than just reacting to things. And so I think good leaders uh, have show initiative. They really show a vision of, for what they want the organization to be. Either the organization already has a vision and they have a clear path to, gain, to reach that vision, uh, but they really focus the team on reaching that, that future goal, whatever that is. Uh, you know, I think a key thing, too, is being able to delegate well. Good leaders delegate well. Bad leaders take on too much themselves, and they just kind of do everything, and everybody else is kind of doesn't know what to do in the organization. So when I, when I think of good leaders, uh, yeah, they, they, they know where they want to go. They take initiative to, to do those steps, but they don't take it all on themselves, and they delegate well to the rest of their team. You know, I see average leaders typically, uh, I refer to them more as like managers. They can manage people. Uh, they can, you know, make sure that everybody's getting fed, getting paid, you know, that they're showing up to work on time, things like that. Uh, but they're not necessarily inspiring people towards uh, a future goal, a future vision. And so they keep the lights on, they keep things going, but, uh, but not really kind of driving and improving the organization. Uh, and then poor leaders just aren't doing any of that. <laughs> they're, poor leaders hardly get even keep the lights on. You know, lots of, lots of problems, lots of, you know, fighting uh, just because the leader may be, I don't know, very hesitant, not really kind of uh, keeping the team together. You know, so a lot of a lot of those types of leaders are usually the ones that just like hope the organization flows well and don't really know what to do or take steps to fix it if it isn't. Interesting. Okay, um, you talked a little bit about for the average leaders, they're kind of just like checking the boxes. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that style of leadership a lot in your career? Would you say that's the norm, or would you say that you've encountered a lot more good leaders, poor leaders? What What have you seen in your career? I would say more leaders or average leaders, I think. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, you know, in the Air Force, in many parts of the Air Force, it's, it's a very kind of corporate culture. You know, uh, you're not out fighting wars all the time, you know, and so you're, you're getting a business done um, in many of the jobs in the Air Force. And, and so good managers are what the Air Force needs. Uh, but you also do want to, you know, really help people drive and, and motivate uh, people. Um, and that takes a special type of person, uh, special type of personality and charisma and things like that. And uh, not everybody has that. So, I, you know, I, I've seen some really good people trying really hard to be really good leaders, 
uh, but I think on average, you know, if you ask, you know, average what I've seen throughout my career, it's probably more in that average leader uh, area where they're really good managers. They take care of the business. Uh, they may may or may not go above and beyond, um, or have the kind of personality to kind of drive the really drive the motivation of the organization. That makes sense, sir. That makes sense. And I think there's more questions that'll get more into how to become a better leader later on. So I, I appreciate that a lot. Um, next. Do you abide by a personal leadership philosophy? And if so, can you explain it? I do. Uh, I like that question because it's really hard to explain. Yes. <laughs> uh, explain a philosophy. I think, you know, as I explain what good leaders are and the kind of the traits that I look at for in good leaders, um, my own philosophy tries to, to follow that as best I can. Uh, so my philosophy is, is a lot about initiative. Taking initiative seeing the bigger picture of the organization, what we're trying to achieve, and taking the initiative and drive to do that. Uh, but it also includes empowerment. Delegating and empowering your team to do what needs to get done. Uh, so General Patton uh, had a quote that's always kind of inspired me. Uh, he said, don't tell people how to do things, tell them what to do, and let them surprise you with their results. And I've tried to live by that as best I can. Uh, so making sure you delegate well, telling them what, what needs to get done, but then stepping back, let them take care of how they do it and empowering them, giving them the tools and the resources to do that. Uh, I haven't been always perfect at that in, in my leadership style, but that's uh, what I've always strived for is to be able to empower the team to do that. So initiative, uh, vision, and empowerment uh, are, are kind of the capstones of my leadership philosophy. I love that, sir. Thank you so much. That's awesome. That's a really good answer. Um, I, one thing that I've learned more about recently is that sort of commander's intent being given and then having that sort of decentralized execution mm -hmm. on that intent. Um, and that's something you just kind of touched on. Can you give an example of when you've given somebody your intent as a leader and then they've surprised you with those results? Yeah, um, people are very creative. There's been many times throughout my career uh, that, well, first, you know, every leader is a follower. And throughout my career growing up, I've had great bosses that have empowered me to do things. And uh, so I'll give you one example of that. Uh, I, being cyber, my background, uh, I was responsible for the Air Force email, the email system that we use across the entire Air Force. And we were, uh, I'll leave the technicals out of it, but basically going through this huge migration. And in that migration, uh, we basically uh, run email for everyone. Well, there was a time when our data center wasn't large enough to support as many users as we needed. And so it was a huge breakdown. Uh, we, we threw a bunch of users into this new data center and, uh, and their email was awful, just completely awful. And it was all my fault. Uh, so we had to fix that first. And then once we fixed it, then uh, my boss said, okay, how would, you, how would you prevent this from ever happening again? That's the what. Come up with a plan on how you, want, how you would fix this. And then you just step back and let me figure it out. And so that was huge for me. It was empowering. Uh, I was able to, to research everything that I needed to, come up with a plan, and then uh, just present it to them. Um, your boss is always there to help uh, give you, you know, revector you if you're, if you're off track. But I really appreciated how he just stepped back and let me take care of it. Uh, so that's just one example of empowerment for me. And, and that's what I've tried to do for my teams as well is just... Uh, try to focus on here's what needs to get done, this is what I need it by, be creative, and let them run with it. That's super cool. That's super cool. On a, on a similar note, 
Uh, can you give an example where your leadership philosophy was challenged? That actually kind of is along the same lines. Uh, you know, when my leadership philosophy is empowerment, that breaks down if, if the person being empowered doesn't want to be empowered. Mm. <laughs> Wants clear direction and guidance and, and a little bit of hand-holding. Uh, yeah, so in my last job, I followed my leadership philosophy as best I could, and it didn't take. Uh, one, of my, one of my troops uh, didn't appreciate just kind of being creative and just running with it and stuff. And not everybody is going to. Everybody has different styles and things. And so in this case, uh, it, it led to, it, they kept asking for more, asking for it, kind of really wanting um, more and basically put, wanting me to do the work rather than them. And so I didn't, I didn't give in to that. I just kept trying to empower them for a couple months, uh, giving it to them to, to just run with. Uh, but I could see eventually it wasn't taken. And we just sat down for feedback, and, and that's when I realized how, how challenging this was for that person because they actually kind of broke down uh, because of it. And it's, it's in those moments when you, you feel like you're, doing, you're following your own philosophy, you feel like you're doing the right things, and then you realize how much that doesn't apply to everyone. And this really uh, hurt this person, and they didn't like my leadership style. And, they, you know, and so I, I tried to get honest feedback both ways. And so they were very honest with me about how, how, it didn't, uh, how it was just breaking them down as a person. And I didn't realize until that moment how, how much my leadership style uh, can be effective for others, but ineffective uh, for, for some as well. And so, uh, so how did we fix that? Uh, basically just really just having a heart-to-heart with each other. Uh, one truth I've found throughout my career is that we judge ourselves on our intentions we judge others on their actions because that's all that we can see, right? We can't see anybody's intentions and they can't see ours either. So they judge us on our actions. That statement became very true for me in that moment. I knew what my intentions were, but how that was coming across to this person, all they saw were my actions. And so uh, I really focused on uh, helping to understand each other better, understand that person's motivations, that person's intentions as well, and then trying to clearly articulate my own intentions and what I was trying to drive out of them. And so through that, uh, it, it wasn't perfect. Um, they, that's just not their personality. So they weren't going to kind of completely come over to my side. Um, but I had to change as a leader as well. And I had to realize that my style that works for, for many others didn't, wasn't going to work for this person. So I have to adapt. And we teach a lot of that here in ROTC about the adaptable leadership and how you're going to have different followers of different, you know, different styles, and you have to be able to adapt to that. Um, that instance made that very clear on how important that really is to keep your team flourishing. Definitely. Wow, so that was a phenomenal answer. Thank you. Yeah, and I mean, that advice applies in the Air Force as well as outside the Air Force. People in business, people with family issues are going to have to manage similar interpersonal conflict. And so I think that's really good advice for everyone, not even just military leaders. Mm -hmm. Thank you, sir. Moving forward, uh, who has been your biggest leadership influence? Oh, biggest leadership influence. Um, there are so many. Uh, one thing I've really grown accustomed to, I didn't, didn't do this before military, but um, I've really started to love history books, and, and especially military history books. And you get to see the personalities of different military leaders, or even just political leaders as well. Um, the first one, before I even thought about the military, one person that really inspired me was um, uh, Robin Williams' character on Dead Poet Society. Uh, it's an old movie, <laughs> dates me way back. 
but uh, he was a great inspirational teacher. And I've always loved teaching. I always uh, wanted to be a teacher as I get older and uh, wanted to be a teacher that can actually inspire their students. And, uh, and he did that in the movie. And so he's always been an inspiration, that, you know, that character. <laughs> Fictional char character, but has always been an inspiration to me throughout. And then as I read about different leaders, there's, I mean, there's just great, uh, great examples. Uh, George Washington and the challenges that he faced uh, early on. He wasn't, he wasn't all that great of a military leader. He had to grow into it as well. Uh, Winston Churchill uh, has been very inspiring um, with how he he built up the nation and and kept them strong, where I believe they would have caved in in under any other kind of leadership there, um, in such a momentous uh, time in history. Uh, so yeah, lots of different leaders have inspired me, uh, but I'll probably just throw back to Robin Williams <laughs> in Dead Poet Society as being being that type of person that can really reach somebody's heart and inspire them. Uh, absolutely, sir. No, I appreciate that. And I think everybody's answer to that question is different. So I didn't want to just limit you to who's the best military leader you've seen. I wanted to get your, your real influence on your philosophy. Uh, we talked about this a little bit already, um, but what are some, some more traits that you've seen in young officers that tend to mean they'll be great leaders in the future? Yeah, that's uh, initiative is, is a huge part. So I'll just you know, double stomp that one. But, uh, and in fact, in, in the class, uh, one of our classes, Initiative is the last lesson that I teach in the semester, and I intentionally moved that to the very beginning, my very first lesson, just because uh, that is so meaningful to me. Um, I think another trait, though, is the ability to delegate, because somebody that takes initiative is going to be awesome. They're going to be a great follower in the Air Force, but not necessarily a great leader, because they'll take on too much, they'll be bombarded, and, and leaders have to be able to keep their minds free to, to be able to look at that bigger picture. So I think another follow-up trait to initiative is the ability to delegate as well. So initiative, being able to delegate, and as we talked about, empower your, your team too. So delegate and, and empower them. Um, but in, I think one thing that I look for in, in uh, cadets and new, new leaders uh, coming up are those traits, the ability to take initiative and, and to be able to delegate around. I think another one is, is uh, command presence as well. There's there's an art and a science to leadership, right? And the science you can learn, those are the things we teach in class about you know, doing various things. And you can learn those things and follow those things. But there's also an art to it. It's a lot about who you are and your personality, what, your charisma, what you bring into it. And so those are things you can't necessarily learn. You can learn, you can sort of adapt them into your style. I can learn from different leaders and what they do and try to make them part of my own personality. Uh, but it really is up to my personality. So some of those key things are just sometimes apparent in, in certain uh, younger leaders. And I can see that that's going to kind of give them a leg up as they, as they grow older, as long as they develop that, continue to flourish that kind of natural uh, charisma and, and leadership. Uh, so I'll sum that up in a command presence, but there's just so many parts of that, but it's just kind of how you are able to naturally jump into a leadership position in a way that people also are inspired to follow you. Definitely. Yeah, yes, sir. I mean, people talk about in, enjoying leaders because they're charismatic, and you, t you touched on that. Like, people want to follow somebody who they believe is charismatic. People vote for people who they think are charismatic. Mm -hmm. they, they like their boss who, like, jokes around with them, but is also a good, good leader at the same time. Um, I think that's a really, really good answer. So it's kind of that mix of, of both the science, the things that the, yeah. they, you know, that it, the cadets are learning, mm -hmm. um, to take initiative, to be in empowering, things like that, but then also the art, too. And if, if they've already got both of those locked in, I can see those are going to be pretty successful leaders in the future. 
Awesome. I, I love that, sir. Um, with that, so, I mean, art is something that people can practice, though, mm-hmm. right? And so maybe somebody who's not necessarily the most charismatic person, do you think that it, it's possible for them to improve that? And how do you think that they would go about doing that Absolutely. in a way that's not too robotic? Yeah, no, it's, it's all about um, trying to make that a natural part of you, too. Uh, like for me, I'm, I'm short. And so already, based on uh, natural human tendencies, um, you tend to give more, uh, more leadership to taller people. This, you know, psychological studies will talk about that. So, you know, I've, I've already got a, a leg down <laughs> being, being kind of a short leader in the military. Um, but, uh, and I can't do anything about that. I can't get ta- any taller, you know. But there's other parts of me that I can, that I can work on. Um, and so, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't mean you have to be born with these natural talents that just make you stand out. Uh, but you can work on them. You can adapt to them. You can see the example of, of other leaders and emulate those in your life. You should never try to become like them, be, you know, be them and try to change your personality. But you can bring in some of those things and, and uh, adapt your personality to uh, be more like you want to be. Uh, we talk about adaptable leadership, and part of that is, is uh, knowing what your personality is and then knowing what your personality might need to shift a little bit to in certain situations. You know, for me, I am more on the introvert scale. Uh, but as, as a leader, you know, if I go into a, you know, a, a dining out or a dining in, you know, some kind of party with the team, I, I, it's really good for me to mingle a little bit, which is scary to me as an introvert, right? But I know that's something I need to do. And so throughout uh, my career, I, I focus on those things. I try to go out and mingle and talk with people and socialize, which is hard. But as I do that, I get better at it too. So even some of those, so understanding your strengths and weaknesses uh, is, is a great place to start. And then what those weaknesses are doesn't mean that they're going to be weaknesses forever. And you can adapt and improve those things and make yourself more comfortable jumping into those situations. I'll probably never be the, the, the star of the, of, the, of the karaoke stage, <laughs> um, but uh, I can make myself more comfortable jumping into those situations along the way as I practice those things. That makes a lot of sense, sir. Thank you. And I think that's super applicable for, for me being a, a future officer, but then also for anybody too, who just like has weaknesses that they want to work on. I think that's awesome, awesome advice. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving forward here, you talked about how traits you look for in young officers include delegation and empowerment. I think a big part of that is being able to intrinsically motivate them. So because that's so important, um, I'd like to ask you, how have you been intrinsically motivated by leaders before? And then how you recommend people get better at intrinsically motivating their followers. But first, let's just focus on how have you been intrinsically motivated by leaders in the past? Yeah, it, that's such a powerful thing, intrinsic motivation. Uh, and we talk about that here in ROTC, about uh, transactional leaders and transformational leaders. Kind of jumping back to your first question about uh, good leaders and average leaders, that's probably one of the key differences there. Good leaders are focused more on that intrinsic motivation or, or can pull out that intrinsic motivation from their, their team more uh, rather than just the transaction. Uh, transactional is kind of like, hey, I, I get you to do this because I'm going to offer you some kind of reward, good promotion, good, you know, good behavior, things like that. Um, if you do this, I'll give you this. That, and that, only, that works. It gets the job done. But what you really want to inspire is the, that intrinsic motivation, where they actually believe in the organization, believe in what you're doing. Uh, how I've been inspired by them in the past, it just uh, there's been hits and misses. I've had leaders that, uh, that do draw that out. Um, 
going back a couple assignments for me, I had uh, this great squadron commander. It was a cyber unit, and she was a pilot. The Air Force was trying out uh, how to bring in, kind of do cross flow of, of uh, jobs. And so she was a C-130 pilot. She was brought in our, as our squadron commander. And she was awesome. She was awesome. She went and got a, a, a really um, technical, difficult cyber certification just to prove that she had the chops to do it. <laughs> and, uh, and she came in, but she was very compassionate. She cared about everyone. Uh, she, she went out and met everybody and knew their names. And just did all those things that, that inspire you. You could tell that she cared about the organization. She brought in teams to help everyone uh, understand their own personalities, their strengths and weaknesses, and then help set goals for the organization to drive that vision. And, and so everybody loved her. And, she could, and we could tell that she loved us too. And so that just really brought a really strong unit and you just really wanted to, you believed in what you were doing because you believed in your leader and, and in what you were accomplishing. So that's one example of how, it, how it's affected me. And I've had some organizations that were like that in the past, some not. And that's where you kind of see those good leaders and, and the bad leaders. Definitely. Yeah, thank you for that connection too. That, that's awesome, that makes a lot of sense. For a unit in that transactional stage um, that has the potential to move into a more transformational stage, do you think that that change to trans transformational would be possible through like one good new commander coming in? Or do you think that the culture of the unit, just everybody who's already been there, is more important? Do you think it's a balance? Yeah, it's, it's got to be a balance. Uh, it doesn't matter how awesome the leader is. If, if nobody else is on board with it, it's not going to go anywhere. Same thing, you know, the, the leader uh, has just a natural effect on, on the organization. The, the, the ideas, the values of, of the leader are just going to become part of that organization's culture. And, and you can't avoid that, too. Um, so as you jump into a role, uh, make sure whatever you are, are, your values and your goals are, are worthy to drive that organization. Uh, so uh, so it's, it's a balance. You know, the leader can't avoid affecting the organization, um, but the organization also has to be able to follow as well. And so, yeah, uh, in, in this case, we had uh, some very strong senior NCOs uh, along with the leader that uh, were willing to go along with it. And yeah, so it's a balance. So Thank you. You got to have both sides. That's awesome. Thank you, sir. No, I think that's that's an amazing answer. So uh, to wrap up, what advice do you think that anyone, not just military officers, can learn from your specific experiences to implement into their own lives? Yeah, um, from my own experiences, I think uh, there's there's one that I left out of my command philosophy, um, and that's it, it, it very unique, not unique to me, but unique to some leaders. And something that I follow is compassion. And we've kind of talked about a lot, uh, the intrinsic motivation and the ability to, uh, to touch hearts and minds. All of that relies on you being compassionate, uh, being able to actually talk and, and build a relationship with your, a professional relationship with your, uh, with your subordinates um, and being part of their lives, caring about their lives. So compassion is a, is a big one for me. Um, it doesn't touch everyone, and we've seen several examples of where there's been effective leaders that didn't have any compassion. Um, General Patton is one of those kind of that gets thrown out there. Um, Douglas MacArthur mm. as well. Great, I mean, they got amazing things done, but not a lot of compassion for their people. Uh, so, uh, so there's both sides there. But something, at least uh, if you ask the question, what can they learn from my career? Uh, that's something that I found that's been very important, something I've strived for throughout every one of my jobs is 
uh, getting away from the desk, getting away from the email, uh, getting to know your folks, learning what motivates them, feeling for them as well. If their family, you know, their family's in trouble or their car didn't start this morning or, you know, whatever it is, um, have that compassion. Know that they're humans and they're trying to reach their own personal life goals as well as you are. And the better you can understand those and, and feel for them, the more you're going to have a unit that cares about each other, the more you're going to have a family. Uh, and I've just found a lot of success that way. It takes a little bit longer. That's a lot more kind of work on the leader to just, rather than just saying, hey, just go do this. We need to get this done. But taking that time to get to know your troops uh, takes longer. But I've found that, at least in my career, that's been, been very effective uh, in at least the success that I'm looking for in my organizations. So um, on top of all the other kind of philosophy uh, that I had, um, I would throw that in there too, is just as a leader, be compassionate. Be compassionate with your, with your team and, uh, and you'll have a lot more success. Chief Warrant Officer 3 retired, Keith Willoughby, served in the United States Marine Corps for over 20 years. Starting out as an enlisted member, eventually becoming a senior drill instructor, and then going on to Warrant Officer School and operating as an officer for the remainder of his career, gave him a plethora of leadership and followership experiences that he is still utilizing today. He is still sharing these lessons with the future of the American public as a senior naval instructor of the Jenkins High School Naval JROTC program. Reflecting on his career, he recalled three things that stood out to him most during his career. I first went to Japan as a young man. I'd only had about a year in the Corps. And it was a little bit of a culture shock, but in a good way. I really enjoyed getting engulfed in another culture, something I had never experienced before. Just going out into the local community, going to the shopping areas, and of course, as a young Marine, going to the bars and things like that in the evening time. It was just interesting to see how a different culture lived. Learning a little bit about the language and being able to interact with the Japanese people. And then, of course, even in my job, I got to interact with the people at the Japanese train station actually count the bags in Japanese, the bags of mail as they came off the train so that the Japanese worker would count in Japanese and I would count it into the truck in Japanese to make sure he knew we were getting the same amount that he was giving to me. That was pretty cool. The next after that, I would have to say it was my time as a drill instructor. And that's kind of a bittersweet story because... In DI school, it's one of the hardest things I ever did in my life. In fact, I would say it's, it's the most difficult thing I've ever done. Just the strain on your body and your mind and your time management skills, everything all combined, just forged us into the sharpest Marines we could possibly be. And of course, it was necessary. Because then after graduating DI school, we reported to our companies 
and I was assigned to 1st Battalion Alpha Company, where I served the next two years, training over 500 Marines, training them to the point that I knew that they would be successful if they ever went to combat. Drill instructor duty was rewarding. I can always remember on graduation day, seeing my young Marines after they were dismissed and their families were literally 50 feet behind me in the stands. And they lined up and they would shake my hand and say, thank you, sir. You made me a man. That was really cool. Next and lastly, and certainly not least, I got to serve as the executive officer for the Joint Military Postal Activity in San Francisco, California. And we were responsible for all of the mail that was transported throughout the Far East from the West Coast of the United States all the way to Bahrain. Some of the coolest things that I got to experience while I was there were going on different trips. I got to go to Hawaii seven times for different conferences and such. I got to go to Japan a couple times more. I got to go to Seattle, Washington. I even went out into the middle of the Pacific Ocean to a, a place called Kwajalein Atoll. Beautiful place, but literally in the middle of the ocean, small little island. The experiences as the executive officer were, were fun and rewarding. I got to know lots of different people both civilians and military. My staff were from every service, including civilians. I had Army people working for me, Air Force, Navy, Marines. That was, that was a cool part of being joint, just getting, a, getting the opportunity to serve with all those other people. He shares lessons with his cadets at Jenkins High School every day. When asked what he would share with anyone who wants to improve their leadership, he gives applicable, actionable advice that could benefit anyone. For this one, I'd like to start out by talking about the 14 leadership traits. These are things like bearing, courage, decisiveness, dependability, initiative, integrity, judgment, Justice, knowledge, loyalty, tact, and unselfishness. These 14 leadership traits are things that any leader needs to embrace and apply to their life. Most importantly, the leadership trait of integrity. The reason I say that is this, as a leader, your troops, your people, your superiors need to be able to trust you. If your people don't trust you, they're not going to want to follow you. If your leaders don't trust you, they're not going to assign missions to you that need to be accomplished. That's why I say integrity is the most important. That being said, we cannot discount the other 13 leadership traits as you can tell from the list 
as I listed them, they're all important. But I just wanted to state my thoughts on why integrity is the most important. Along with those leadership traits, there are also 11 leadership principles. I'm not going to state all of those, but I would like to say that setting the example is probably the most important one. It goes right along with integrity, just in a different way. And another one I like is employing your people in accordance with their capabilities. As a leader, we have to evaluate our people. We have to get to know them in and out. What are they good at? What are they not so good at? That enables us to assign missions to those people that we know will be successful. Successful for them and successful for the group, for the unit. So the leadership lessons that I would like to share with young people, and I do on a daily basis as a junior ROTC instructor, are to fully understand the 14 leadership traits. Be able to define them, even if it's in your just your own words, and apply them to your life. The extent to which you can do that will change who you are as a leader. Same thing with the 11 leadership principles. Now, I understand these are probably Marine Corps-affiliated terms, but I think they apply in any of the armed services. In fact, I think they apply in any job, civilian or military. That will conclude today's episode of Leadership Lessons with Military Leaders. Today we talked about how General Washington's resiliency, resourcefulness, and undying will to win gave birth to the United States of America. We discussed how leadership is found so much throughout daily life, and how even small positions of leadership can improve people's lives. We heard from Lieutenant Colonel Trexie Potter discussing how crucial it is to delegate, empower your people, and to always be compassionate. Finally, we heard from retired Chief Warrant Officer 3, Willoughby, about his experiences as a leader in the Marine Corps and how he can utilize the leadership traits and principles he abides by and how those can be implemented by any leader, military or not. I really hope you heard at least one thing today that gets you thinking about how you can improve as a leader because no leader is ever done learning and growing. Thank you for listening.